Open your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. I'm preaching a series of messages on uh, revealing Christmas or unveiling Christmas. That's why all these messages will come from the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation, Revelation means apocalypto, and that word means to uncover, to take the clothes off, to make sure it's clear that you can see it like you've never seen it before. And so we're looking today at Christmas, and last week we did in a different way. I'm not going to preach some jingle bells. That's just not my style. You'll have to find another place. We're not going to have Santa Claus on this stage. He's not coming. I'm the, I'm the closest thing. That's it. But... Um, I tell you, what they can do for us doesn't compare what he can do for us. And so that's who we're going to talk about. Revelation chapter 4. And really, this would have been the last message of my judgment series. But Christmas caught us here, and I had to kind of eliminate this message. But I intended to preach it anyway, so uh, it fit right in with my series of messages. And so that will be... Today, we would really call this the joy after judgment. But here's what we're revealing. We're revealing the worthiness and worship of Jesus Christ. Revealing, taking it off where you can see what it looks like. The revealing of his worthiness and our worship toward his worthiness. So look at Revelation 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and that first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now remember, John's not in church. John don't have a congregation. John don't have anybody with him. But he said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, you got a bunch of folks here to help you. You ought to come to this place in the spirit on the Lord's day. That just means to be filled with the spirit of God. And he that set was to look upon like Jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had, they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Look at verse 10, just for the sake of time. Four and twenty elders fall down before him. Do I need to read that again? That's set on the throne. Fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And look at this. And cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. 
For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. So today, let's look at this revealing of the worship and worthiness of our Lord. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, I'm so thankful for those who gathered on a a morning that was... uh, unusual it's a little dangerous it's a little different uh, with ice on the roads a little bit of snow and cold weather and, and and god i know the devil does everything he can to to keep us away but sometimes you throw things out there to see if we'll be true to you and i thank you god for this these people who have remained true today and come to the house of god i pray you'll do something in their hearts that will never be forgotten In Jesus' name, amen. There's no doubt there is a terror, no matter how long I preach on it, about judgment. There is a fretfulness about how it's going to turn out. There's a deep respect and there is a trembling concern, but also there is a great joy of judgment. Uh, you see why there's a blessing of reward and so that's our great joy of reward and and also of judgment if there is no judgment there is no rewards so thank god for that amen and so paul relates the uh, love of his appearing to the fact in in second timothy 4 8 he, he relates the, just the excitement of the Lord coming to his crowning of his rewards. That's what he was excited about. He knew. He said, man, I fought a good fight and I finished the course. I've kept the faith. It don't matter to me. I'm going up because I know I'm going to be crowned. So he was excited about that. Now, I want you to see three things this morning. First of all, I want you to see the throne. Number one, where is it? Verse 1 and 2 makes it clear it is in heaven, in heaven. Now, John gets to see heaven immediately, and by verse number 2, it seems he was no longer limited and to the confines of his body, but now was in the hands of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of revelation. The Holy Spirit is giving him a guided tour through heaven to unveil, to reveal, to let him see some things about uh, revelation and the worthiness and worship of Jesus Christ. And so he is consumed now in the Spirit. He is controlled in the Spirit. And now he just gets this sightseeing tour to this scene, this one scene that he sees here, and he tells us about it. So we believe it's in heaven. Where is it? When is it? Verse 1 and 2 tells us this. Now, this is very important. You, You can't miss this. He says, after this first words chapter 4 after this after what well revelation 1 talks about the glorified christ so it's not that chapters 2 and 3 talk about the church so it's got to be that after this after 
the church is gone. Now, a lot of people don't believe that's going to happen. I believe you do will. Now, if it's not going to happen, why does God not ever mention the church in the book of Revelation again under chapter 22? He goes all the way through that. It's the word after this. It's the Greek word metatata. It is, it, it, it means, it's the same word used in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 19. It says this, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. You see, he's showing him some things right here that, Metatata. It is the things that's going to happen after this. After we're gone, most of the book of the Revelation tells what's going to happen. Okay? So, when is it? I think it's after the church. Now, the church, um, it, it, you're not going to heaven because you happen to be on the membership roll of our church. We got about 1,500 FBI, well, that's not a good illustration. Uh, 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 a police dog couldn't find, you know? And they just, we don't know where they are, don't know who they are, never been, at least not in my uh, time here. And so I, I want you to, to know that the church is going to be the church. It's not going to be anybody slip in. It's not going to be anybody that fakes it. It's going to be the real church. That's going to be there. And you'll not find the church after 22 until you get to uh, chapter 22. After this. So John now sees heaven filled with the church after judgment. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia. Ecclesia, and it means a group called out for his name. Do you understand if you're saved that you've been called out for his name? You've been called out from out there to his name. At work, you've been called out to his name. At school, you've been called out to his name. That's the church. That's your whatever you do. You're called out for the Lord. So when the church arrives in heaven, it loses its name. It's no longer called the church. The world knew us by that name, the church. In fact, the world named us. They, they, they kind of named us. But we're going to be called something better. We're going to be called the bride. We're going to go for being called the church. To being called the bride. The bride. And brides always look better than any of us do on Sunday morning. Right? So it's going to be a wonderful thing. Third thing, who is on this throne? May I suggest real strongly that it is and was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But, the visible likeness that they saw was Jesus Christ. They didn't see God the Father. They didn't see God the Holy Spirit. They saw God the Son. Are y'all listening to me? Now, the Father is real and vivid. It doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't mean he don't exist. His presence will be known. 
We know he's there because he spoke out of heaven three times in the New Testament. So we know there is a heavenly Father. So we'll be conscious of the presence of the Father and we'll be conscious of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but we'll see the Son. You say, well, you act like you're pretty sure about that. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. You, you say, why? Because Jesus clearly, clearly tells us in the Bible, in John 14, 9, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And John, over in John chapter number 1, he tells us that no man, I think it's John 1, 18. Let me just read it to you because some may not get it if I don't read it, okay? I think it's John 1, verse number 18. Here it is. Listen. No man has seen God at any time. Now, this is, this is, you see, John didn't even deal with the birth of Christ. He just moved right on through to tell us who he was. He didn't celebrate Christmas. He just told us who he was, where he came from, what he's done, and what he wants us to do, and what he can do for us. But look. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, <clears throat> which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. In other words, you want to see God? See Jesus. You, you want to believe in God? Believe in Jesus. You say, well, I believe there's a God, but I, I don't buy this Jesus bit, then you'll never get to heaven. Is the only way to get to heaven is, is that, that, that Jesus, who was God, and he stated on many occasions that he was God. Even the Jews knew. They said this, he makes himself equal with God. Even they knew that he claimed to be God. That's why they wanted to kill him, or one of the reasons. And so as we go through, I, I just want to just, just get, you can look up some of these others, but in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, listen to what it said. It said, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that set up on the throne and unto the Lamb. If you read Revelation 6, 16, Revelation 7, 9 through 10, Revelation 12, verse 5, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3, Revelation 3, 21, you'll see that the throne is always connected to the Lamb. The Lamb. You say, when you see Jesus... What did John the Baptist say? We just sing about it. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And when we see the Lamb there, we know he's the one who took away our sin. He's the one who changed our life, and he's the one we're going to be forever with. He is seated there with the Father, the Bible says. So all three are represented here. And I'll get to the verse in verse number five. We see the third person of the Trinity. You go back to chapter 4 and verse 5. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like the crystal. In the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. So he talks about some beasts being there. But in verse 5, he talks about 
something that's a lot more comforting than if you just skipped and read verse 6. It it might bother you some not understanding. When you read verse number 5, out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and this is God the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because if you go back over to the Old Testament and read Isaiah, he gives us all seven of those functions of the Holy Spirit. So here he sees a candlestick. Uh, he, he sees it burning there, and how many lamps of fire does it have? Seven, right? So we say, well, that, what does that mean? Well, Revelation chapter 1, when he closes it, says the seven candlesticks thou sawest are the seven churches. So they're in heaven. One, one candlestick represents the whole church here. How did we get there? Holy Ghost. How did we get there? Holy Ghost. He convicted us so that we might see. He touched us so that we might be convicted in our heart to the point of repentance. It was the Holy Spirit who dealt with our hearts. And so here we see all three at the throne. You may say, what is it? Well, it's a place of authority. It's a place of authority. God's general headquarters of rulership and judgeship is in heaven. If you you want a verse to connect that for you, Psalm 11, verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold and his eyelids try or that word there means test and judge the children of men you see at christmas time what we do is we come and gather around a baby but what we better do is come and gather around god because laying in that manger was not just a baby it was god he wouldn't stay a baby he would grow to be around 33 years of age And he was God from the time he was birthed until he was crucified. He proved it to us at the resurrection and told this in one passage in John, I think, chapter 8, where he said, before Abraham was, I was. I was. He says another place, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Listen, Jesus knew everything that was going on. The Father knew everything that was going on. The Holy Ghost knew everything that was going on. So I go to worship him that was a great gift wrapped in swaddling clothes and decorated with unbelievable lights, right? Uh, No reindeer, no frosty, no one horse sleigh. Just a baby in an old stone trough where he is wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. I should have brought pictures uh, today to show you of, the, of what his uh, manger looked like. There wasn't much wood at all. I'm saying this for some of you who has this 
concept. Here's your concept of Christmas. What you did, what you saw in a Christmas play growing up. Where they got a baby doll, put it in a, where somebody had taken two cross sticks and made, a, made just a little wood manger because that's how uh, we do, because we have bukua trees around here. They didn't. Had bukua rocks, though. And we're blessed with both. <laughs> but they, Solomon, we saw in his temple and where his stables was at uh, uh, Mount Megiddo, Right there is a excellent uh, where where they have dug a complete manger, and we had some of our people lay down in it um, because I just picked out the babies of the church and put them in it. You know, and I'm kidding about that. But we they they I want you to understand that that was God in a cold stone manger wrapped in swaddling clothes and friend I can tell you today those swaddling clothes means more than any package you can wrap today but don't you notice the place of his amazement it is like John steps into a place of such exotic astonishment that the only descriptive words are emeralds and rainbow and crystal and lighting and thundering. It, 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 it was radiance unimaginable. I mean, when, when he got there, this radiance was uh, unimaginable. It was undeniable. It was indescribable. He just didn't know what to do when he saw that. There wasn't words that would fit to where we would understand. But these are the words the Holy Ghost gave us to understand that it is more valuable than anything we've ever seen. It was a glorious place. Third, it was a place of adoration. Verses 8 through 11, uh, uh, there was no little baby sitting on the throne, no 12-year-old Jesus sitting on the throne where he got lost or the, or the mom and daddy went off and left him. There is no uh, miracle work in Jesus. There's no cross-bearing Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus because all through the Bible it tells us that he left something in heaven that we did do. We put the nails in his hands. And the holes of his, in his hands are there for eternity. So at every time we look at him, we can say, Thank you, Jesus, for dying on an old cross when we didn't deserve it. And you saved us. So let, let, let's, look. let's look a little further. Let's look at the second word I want to talk to you about. Y'all still with me? All right, I want to talk to you not just about the throne, but I want to talk to you about the triumphant. That's, um, when we look at verses 4 and 5, we want to say, who are they? That's my question. Who are they? 24 elders. Well, they are representatives. Uh, uh, you see the word seats there. They are representatives or thrones or places of, of uh, authority. And in the Old Testament, uh, 24 represented uh, the people of Israel. In the New Testament, they represent the church. Titus 1.5, 
expresses that, that leadership there that he talks about. And there's an eldership. The elder is the pastor. The elder is the bishop. The, the elder is the shepherd. I mean, the pastor is the shepherd. There is no all these other things that people's coming up with. There's just one term that fits it best, the pastor. And that's the word that we use. And But if you called me a bishop, it would not bother me because that is a word that's used in the Bible. Uh, if you called me an overseer, I know some of you call me a dictator. That's, that don't bother me. I didn't I, I see what kind of dictator I am. I'm going to go check your bill phone and see if you tithe today. I, I know dictator, that's not my title. But these 12 represent, the 24 elders are representative of all the redeemed of all the ages. The 24 elders. There was 12 Old Testament tribal leaders and 12 apostles and church founders. 12 and 12 is 24. So we are gathered around the throne. That's who it is. We're gathered around the throne. You see, in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, even though the Hebrew Bible didn't have chapter and and verse uh, breaks in it, it it's amazing that he put it in our 1 Chronicles 24 when it was translated that the priests became so many that David divided them up into courses or into groups and each group served two weeks at a time. And that's how Zacharias that we talked about here in Simeon that we talk about here, that's how Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, happened to be in there that day because he was serving his course as a priest. And that's part of the story as he is the forerunner of Christ. Why are they there? Why are they there? Well, first of all, because of the clothes. Someone said, well, I don't think it matters what you wear. God looks on the heart. Well, here he didn't. looked on the clothes. Now, don't get me wrong. Down here, he looks on the heart. And if your heart's right, you'll dress right. Or dress the best you can. If overalls is the best you got, you wear them. You know, if dirty tennis shoes is the best you got, you wear them. But here, he represents the church clothed in white raiment. Now, how do you know that? Because Revelation 19.8 says that when the saints are coming back with Jesus Christ, that they are clothed in white linen, which is righteousness. So, in other words, all of these who had these white clothes on were made righteous. And how are you made righteous? By faith in Jesus Christ. There's no way to be made righteous any other way. You can't go just through any way you choose. I don't care what you believe. It doesn't matter. God's word is clear on it. The only way to be made righteous is that he gives us his righteousness, puts it to our account, and then we're saved. Okay? Now, so their clothes meant they'd been cleansed and covered with his righteousness And it got them into the throne room. Secondly is their crowns. Notice it it says crowns is plural in verse 4. 
Crowns are plural. And also, I think crowns are pure because they're gold. Right? And then crowns are permanent because they're eternal. Now, crowns of gold indicate two things. Number one, rulership. In fact, the Apostle Paul got really ticked off at the saints at Corinth, chewed them out good because that they were fighting over little nitpicking, silly, wrong things and not doing what God had told them to do. They had even gone back to doing some things they shouldn't have gone back to doing in the surrounding uh, 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 pagan temples and such. And so he really chewed them out about some things that they had been taught, but they had went back to what they wanted to do. And so 1 Corinthians 6, 3, he makes this statement, Know not that we shall judge the angels. If you can't judge these little nitpicking things, how in the world do you think you're going to judge the angels? In fact, probably you won't get a crown because you spent your time judging everybody else instead of examining your heart. And so when you walk into this place on Sunday morning, you need to come in the spirit, in the spirit. You say, it's too cold. I know it's cold. I, I don't like the cold no better than you do. If it's 85 up here, it wouldn't bother me one bit. Would them, wouldn't bother me. But we could make a thousand excuses why we don't go to church and why we don't serve God, why we don't witness and why we don't give and all those kinds of things. And so he said, what is wrong with you, church? Get right with God. Judge these little old bitty things and go on. Now look at what else. He also makes it clear in Luke 22 that there's going to be some sitting with him on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then again in Revelation 20, verse 4, he makes it clear. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. I think it says that in heaven, God's judged people will endorse the judge in all his decision, and God surrounds himself with the saints that has been respected, crowned, and favored to rule for him during the millennium. Now, I think it says that, but you may not, uh, but that term uh, always means rule. That's what, when you see that, means rule. But then there's a second thing it means, it means rewards. I preached a message on that, and so I hope you're going to get this. The, these are called crowns in the Bible. I, I've even heard, overheard people as they walked out of the church saying, you know, I'm not worried about those crowns. I just want to get to heaven. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. If you really are saved, you'll never want to stop right there. You'll want to do something for Jesus. You want to serve him in some way. You, you want to live a certain way. I mean, you just can't go on like you are. And crowns are very important. And, and Christians ought to live for the, by the fact that we know God's going to reward us someday. I mean, it's really going to be Christmas time. You go. Anybody giving gold for Christmas? 
I'd, I'd like, I really would like a gold bar if anybody's got one. I'll give you $100 for it today. But, but rewards was very important in the Bible. And John sees these, they're already crowned. So that means they'd already been through the judgment. After this, metatata, right? But then we see the candlesticks, verse 5. The seven lamps of God, the sevenfold work of the Spirit. Fullness of the Spirit where that was realized in the church. Seven means complete. And so the Holy Spirit is saying here is the complete church. Seven candlesticks, he says in in Revelation 1 are the churches. Y'all got it? So the churches are alive, and they're now in heaven. And in fact, the Holy Spirit is in heaven. The Father's in heaven. The Son's in heaven. You say, well, that's three gods. No, that's one God in one. Not one God in one. See, when I die, there's more of me. You won't see it, but there's more of me. In fact, everything I am... Is what you can't see. And everything you are is what you can't see. Are y'all with me? Why? Because we were made in the image of God. Body, soul, spirit. We were a tripartite. And that's exactly the way God meant for it to be. You say, well, how did all that happen? In fact, how, how did they know what to do? And, and how did they get there in the first place? It was the Holy Spirit. You can read it, John 16, verse 13 and 15, said that the Holy Spirit would come down here and guide us into all truth. So the reason they were in heaven is because the Holy Spirit guided them to their salvation, guided them to for their preservation, guided them in their instructions of righteousness, and then guarded them in heaven. There they are, right there. So he, he offers those crowns. First of all, there's a separation crown. You can't live like everybody else. If you can't play by the rules, you don't get a crown. Number two, there's a soul crown. That means when you win people to Jesus, God has a tender heart for those people. In fact, the Scripture tells us in Daniel 12 and also 1 Corinthians 15, 41, that they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So uh, there's the crown, that's soul crown. Now there's a servant crown. That's the one that Paul's talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He, he, he knew he had served God, and he knew he was going to get a crown. He knew it. That means you're dependable, you're loyal, you're faithful, regardless of the circumstances. You remember right before in 2 Timothy, uh, there's a place that says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he went down the list naming some of the servants and preachers and pastors who was doing other things and couldn't get to him. And he says this, only Luke is with me. You see, God's looking for somebody who will stick it out to the end, who will live for him all the way, not off and on, not up and down, not cold and hot, but we'll live for him constantly and, and, and eternally we're going to be there getting our crowns. 
to the, now you say, well, what are we going to do with them? Well, you've got a couple more here that God says that there's going to be a crown for directing the flock. That's the shepherd crown. Now, this is not for ear-tickling preachers. This is for sheep feeders and, and, and goat slappers. That's, that's who that is. It's not for puppets. It's for leaders. It's not, for voc- it's not so you can have a vocation that happens to be spiritual or has a spiritual aspect about it. No, it's that you are a faithful servant to God. It is not worldly but is to be exemplar for the Bible. And so, Jesus says that's a crown, and if you help and support those people who teach and preach, then even a cup of cold water gets you a crown. And then there's a crown for death. If you were to be martyred, the Bible says there's a crown for you. Really, we can, we can just... We can just Boil it down to four things because he really is rewarding us for our labors. As I looked in the Bible and studied the difference between works and labors, labors is where you really get with it. And when you read it, you've got to labor until it hurts when you're a soul winner. Hurts sometimes. You've got to give till it hurts. Acts chapter 20, verse 33 and 35, Ephesians 4, verse 28. And then you have to pray till it hurts, Colossians 4, verse 12. And then you have to preach and teach till it hurts. There'll be some, there'll be some tough times, but God rewards those tough times. Are y'all okay? So up to now, here's the last thing. Talking about the thrill. Up to now, we've saw all the scene. We we we've we've got the we've got all the church gathered around the throne. They they've got all the crown upon their head. And here's the angels. They hadn't been redeemed. They hadn't been saved. They don't know what's what's going on. But they know how to worship Jesus. And so they become our cheerleaders. They become the ones who said, "Watch me. We'll show you how to get this done." And in heaven, the angels start to show us how to worship. And that's what we find in the rest of that chapter. And so it creates a thrill of exaltation in verses 8 and 9. You've never heard him exalted like you're going to hear him exalted when the angels praise him. Oh, and before I was saved, I'm just going to be honest, heaven didn't sound too good to me at all. Every preacher I heard preach on it, it was a boring place. I, I just didn't, I, I, I knew it had to be better than hell. But I didn't see too much in heaven. First of all, I wasn't saved, so I didn't like its music. I liked my music. I liked CCR. Mm-hmm. Almond Brothers. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I like my music. I didn't like theirs. I be honest, I like my people, my friends, not their people. That's not who I like. I, I didn't like the sermons. It's like some of you don't. I didn't like them either. You see, I didn't like somebody standing up and telling me 
that God demanded a righteous lifestyle. Oh, I didn't like that. I didn't like to hear about his holiness. You know why? Because that would bring conviction to my heart. And so look at the exaltation. And now look at the prostration here in verses 9 through 10. Out of response to the angelic beast, we will fall down in worship. In fact, we will get on our face. When we see Jesus exalted high and lifted up like the angel is going to show us, we can't stand it anymore. And we fall flat on our face in worship to the one who's done it all. Oh, mm. And then we have presentation in verse 10. They cast their crowns. You see why it's so important? When you walk out of here and say, I don't worry about them crowns. I just want to make sure I get to heaven. No, no. You better, you better read something. They took their crowns and cast them at Jesus' feet. See, that's, that's, the, that's going to be the glory of getting a crown. I heard the story years ago about a crippled girl. She couldn't compete in sports like others did. She couldn't do much of anything. Her father encouraged her, tried to get her to, to, to get interested in things. And she said, I, I, Dad, I, Dad's, there's no need. They just, I, I, I can't, you know, I can't run very fast and I can't uh, do the things they can. I can't jump and and he said, there, there, there's a, a field day. There's a, a kind of a little baby Olympic they're having at the, at the school. And, and I want you to get in the 100-yard dash. <laughs> she said, there's no way I could win. He said, We're gonna, I'll be there with you. I'll take every step with you. I'll show you how. We'll practice. We'll work. And sure enough, they shot the gun and off they went. And she began to fall behind. They started to take her easily. And then she looked to her left, to her right, and there was her dad. And he was running with every step she ran. And he said, don't you quit. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. Keep running. You can get there. Keep running. You can get there. And all of a sudden, she said, I felt something in me I'd never felt before. And I began to take that old crippled leg, and I gave it everything I had, and I passed every one of them and hit the tape ahead of every one of them. But they gave her the trophy. She didn't keep it. She took it to her dad. Said, Dad, I could never have done this without you. And she gave her dad the trophy. You see, we'll stand before Jesus someday. And you led somebody to Christ and there's the crown. And you could say, God, I'd never done this. I could have never done this. Except Jesus. So, you need to know there's a thrill. This what we call Christmas, which means Christ Mass, which that tells you who named it, the Catholics. Christ Mass. 
It's not for that. It's not for that at all. The one who lay in that manger, we have to see him as the one that is now on the throne. The one who wore a crown of thorns now wears a crown of gold. A heaven halo is over him. The one Mary held in her arms holds me in his hand. And you, the wise men, when they got there, they knew who he was. And by the way, they didn't get there for quite some time after he was born. He was already in the house. But when they got there, they knelt before him. Because they knew in that manger, that was the one Daniel had told them about over there in Babylon. And they came and they knelt down and the Bible said they worshipped him and they gave him the very best worship they could and they gave him the very best gifts that they could. So that's how it's going to be if you want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You got a fear of the real Christmas story? You see, and I don't like it either, and I'll stand with you on it. You know how I stand. I don't think the government ought to tell us where we can have a nativity scene on the courthouse yard or wherever in some public place or at the school. I don't think they'll do that. Let me tell you something. They can take every nativity scene out of this whole world, but they can't get that out of my heart. Let them make All it is is human stuff. It's just junk. But what we got's real. And we can celebrate that little child who grew to die on a cross and rise from the dead. We can celebrate him 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Because that little baby was Jesus. And Jesus was God. So God lay in that manger.